He's a creator, an innovator. His passion is why we listen. His knowledge is why we want to be educated. He really has spent his life focusing on people that make excuses. With a man who has turned around over 800 bars throughout the world, Bar Rescue's John Taffer. If you do tomorrow what you did today, you will get tomorrow what you got today. So while I'm off shooting Bar Rescue, I didn't want to leave you guys with no podcast. So here's what we're doing. For the next few podcasts, we're going to do classic best of, but they're not clip shows. We're going to run our best podcasts ever. So we're going to do some encore podcast performances the next few weeks. And then new podcasts will start on Thursday, March 5th. And the classic ones, Corey, that we picked are pretty fucking good. Oh, every episode's good, John. Ah, well, thanks, buddy. But some are better than others. And we picked the best ones. So next few weeks, classic episodes of No Excuses podcast. We're back with fresh new episodes on March 5th. And keep an eye out, guys. Bar Rescue starts on March 1st. So let's start out this Throwback Thursday with Frank Shankwitz from Make-A-Wish. It's an honor uh, to have you here. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Uh, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I uh, have had the opportunity to, to sit on the boards of so many charities over my life. And, you know, every you've created the standard uh, for, for me of, uh, of, you know, what a great organization does and, and, and you know, how... Uh, a dream, just a thought, can become such a powerful influence on so many lives. So thanks for being here, Frank. Well, and thank you for the invitation. And sorry for about the little communication mix-up, but we, we got it working. Yeah, we sure did. So your background is is a great background. So you, you grew up in Arizona and, and uh, went to high and junior high school in Prescott. And I've been to Prescott, actually. And uh, uh, from there, you went on to Arizona Western College. And following that... Uh, uh, you enlisted in the Air Force. Did you know that you were going to go in the Air Force? Did you know that you wanted to work for public safety? Where did you know it, it, in your growing up uh, uh, where you wanted to go and what you wanted to do? Or did it all sort of happen? I'm, I'm very curious. Well, and, and during high school, and obviously a very poor family, if you saw any background, but uh, just me and my mother, me trying to support actually my mother, and I knew I couldn't afford to go to college. And this was before the days of student loans. This is in the, the 1960s. Yep. And I uh, had always been interested in military and especially the Air Force and especially air traffic control. Uh, just a passion I had and uh, took the test for it and passed to be go to that tech school and join the Air Force uh, in 1961. And following basic training, we learned a thing called the needs of the service, <laughs> where our, all of our orders were changed. We had people going to all sorts of different tech, tech schools, including Russian language school and uh, even officer training school. And all of a sudden they said, this graduating class is cooks, this graduating class is medics, and this graduating class is their police. And I was on that one that was their police. Gotcha. Yeah, now everybody was very disappointed, obviously, but uh, you've signed your four-year contract, and uh, it turned out to be a great, a great uh, choice. I mean, as far as going into that type thing, gave me the background in police, started out with the, the typical security, aircraft security on the bombers that were B-52s that were loaded for yep. with hydrogen bombs back in that day, and uh, eventually into actual police duties. I got sent over to England. And spent three years in England at a base there, 
and doing actual police duties, which gave me a back, good background. Gotcha. So, so but you mentioned about the uh, joining the Highway Patrol, and no, that was never a thought. Um, I went to work for Motorola. Motorola was looking, and this is now um, the late 60s, looking for people with top secret clearances uh, to work on their uh, Atlas missile programs in Phoenix. And uh, I accepted that position. They gave us training. I used the GI Bill going to college to get the degrees. Uh, just a great job. I mean, just excellent, excellent salary. Motorola treated us so good. Uh, but several of my friends from high school had joined the Arizona Highway Patrol and just kept saying, why don't you join, Frank, with your background, your engineering uh, background. You'd just be a perfect fit. You're kind of adrenaline junkie. And I said, guys, I make it in one week, but you guys make it a month. And I, I just, I'm not going to take that salary cut for the first time I'm comfortable. Yeah. And, uh, but I just got bored at Motorola. It was the same thing. I mean, again, they treated me good. And just on a whim, I put in an application after seven years with Motorola, uh, with the Highway Patrol. And uh, that particular process, there was 1,000 applicants and they only chose 50 of us. And I happened to be one of the, people they chose and I had to make that decision. Well, greatest decision I ever made was uh, joining the Arizona Department of Public Safety because 42 years later, I finally <laughs> resigned. <laughs> so when, when you, were you always conscious of helping those around you, even when you were young, did you have a, a, a did you have an emotional connection to make a wish back then before you knew it was make a wish? Oh, no, no, not, not, not whatsoever. Um, I was, like I said, raised very poor. Um, just a strange child background, but uh, so strange that Hollywood made a movie about it <laughs> <laughs> called, called Wish Man, but brought up very, very poor and ended up in a little town called Sligman, Arizona. My mother and I up on old Route 66, and this is 1953, uh, completely broke, nowhere to go. A uh, ranching family took us in. And at 10 years old, I got a job as a dishwasher and did that for several years, working full-time, plus trying to go to school. But a gentleman became my father figure because my mother had actually kidnapped me and kept me hidden from my father for years and years while he's trying to find us. And uh, this gentleman, Juan Delgadillo, like I said, became my father figure, my mentor. I had never had this father figure but just kept helping me out, teaching me things, teaching me work ethic, getting me introduced to sports, into music, just all sorts of help develop character and integrity. And one day he said, Frank, when you can give back. Now this is the fifties. This is not a popular term like it is now. Yeah. What do you mean give back? The poor people are helping us out. And he said, you don't have to have money to give back. You can give back your time. And he gave an example of, Look at the widow Sanchez. She's always bringing you and your mom beans and tortillas to help you out. Look at her yard. It's a mess. It's full of weeds. Look at her front porch. It needs scraped and painted. And you're old enough to do that. You can do that. You can give back. And that was just a perfect example of a life lesson that just stayed with me my whole uh, teenage and adult life. Wow. So, so then <clears throat> you start working in a motorcycle unit. And uh, at some point, you, you became a coach with Special Olympics. Was that in your conscious effort to give back? Or, or talk to me about uh, the whole Special Olympics part of your life. Well, I was, I was first stationed down in Yuma, Arizona on the um, K-1 
California, Mexico, Arizona border. Um, and as a car officer, I mean, just a rookie straight out of the academy. And I took continuing classes out, as you mentioned, at Western Arizona College. And one of the coaches came up to me one day, the football coach, and he said, hey, I know your football coach from back when you were in Prescott, Arizona, playing football in high school. And I'd like you to get involved in Special Olympics. And I had no idea what that was. And he just he explained the program to me. He said, if you got some time on your days off, if you'd like to do that, and we'd like you to help the kids with a football throw, a baseball throw, uh, basketball, all of these sports I was involved in. I said, you know what, Coach, that sounds like fun. And that's the first time I got involved with Special Olympics. And I really, really enjoyed that program, working with those kids. And when I'm doing that is the first time I thought to thinking about one my mentor, Juan, I think I'm finally starting to give back. It yeah. took all those years. And it started to make sense to you what give back meant, I'm guessing, in those moments also. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yep. When did you think of, and talk to me about, you know, when Make-A-Wish was even conceived. Was it a particular child and situation that caused it, or was it, you know, the, the thought first and then and then find the child who needed it? Talk to me about that for a few minutes. Yeah, and, and it, it was started back in the early 70s you mentioned i was on a motorcycle tactical squad it was a 10-man unit we worked all over the state of arizona two weeks of one town two weeks in another town and during that period and this is in the mid 70s the uh, tv show chips became very popular sure <laughs> and for people who don't know chips was the adventures of the new california highway patrol motorcycle officer punch and john it was on nbc it ran forever and ever eric estrada <laughs> Yeah, very popular with the uh, the age group of uh, 7 to 14 mm -hmm. of that demographic. Except for the girls, it was 7 to about 50 because of uh, <laughs> and his smile. <laughs> but as we started going to little towns, um, the two-man team usually, the grade school kids would see us and they'd just start yelling, Hey, Punch, hey, John. Uh -huh. And we got a kick out of that. And our equipment, our uniforms are almost identical. And ours, ours is Arizona, obviously. In fact, we trained with... California Highway Patrol initially up in Sacramento. And I just asked our commanders, if we have some downtime in these little towns, can we go to the grade schools and start talking about bicycle safety? And they thought that would be a great PR tool, which we did. Now, the kids could care less about bicycle safety. They just wanted to crawl all over the motorcycles. Yep. Again, it, it was just a, a great PR thing with the mm -hmm. town, with the teachers, and so on. And in 1980, um, I was patrolling way up in here in northern Arizona on a motorcycle, and I get a call from a dispatcher. Um, check out at a telephone, the nearest telephone. This is before the days of cell phones. Yep. And you drive 40 miles to find the nearest payphone. And she said, we've just been informed a customs agent named Tommy Austin has befriended a little boy named Chris. Chris is seven years old. Chris has terminal leukemia. He's only expected to live a week or two. And his heroes are Ponch and John from Chips. And he told his mother, when I grow up, I want to be a motorcycle officer, just Aww. like Ponch and John. Aww. And the customs agent said, is there anything the department could do to uh, just have him hang out for a day if he can get permission from his doctor? Because this little boy is in bed on IVs. Yeah. Aww. To hang out with one of the motorcycle officers, see the guys, see the equipment. And I just happened to be the officer they chose, maybe because I was all over the state, you know, working with the children, interacting with them. 
And I had never met this little boy. I had no idea what to expect. And they timed it where our helicopter, in fact, our state police helicopter picked him up at his hospital. And they timed it where the helicopter is approaching the landing zone that I am coming down from the mountain area into our headquarters area. And I could see this little face pressed against the glass of this oh. helicopter, just this huge grin on oh. his face. Now, I'd never met this little boy. I had no idea what to expect. The helicopter landed. I thought our paramedics are going to help him out the door. Uh, he had just come off these IVs. Yeah. And instead, the door opens out, jumps this little red pair of red sneakers, uh. runs for the motorcycle. Hi, I'm Chris. Can I get on your motorcycle? Well, of course you can, Chris. This little boy is just laughing and giggling. And he had watched Chip so much, John, that he said, this is the siren. Can I turn it on? These are the red lights. This is this. This is that. He knew everything about that motorcycle because uh. ours was identical. Yeah. And said, what's in your saddlebag? It's the same as Punch. <laughs> but, but I'm looking at his mother and she's crying and, and I had never met her and I, why is she crying that had dawned on me she has her seven year old back this little boy is just being a typical seven year old just having the time of his life yeah at that moment he's not sick right and he went on that day to become the first and only honorary highway patrol officer uh, in the history of our highway patrol we had the next day we had a custom made uniform made for him, uh, his own badge that's still assigned to him today, the smoky hat. Uh. And the following day when we went to deliver all this to his house, we got permission to go to his house. I led several motorcycles, squad cars. And he came up to me and uh, very proud in his uniform uh. and, and started touching the wings that motorcycle officers wear. And this is the first time I heard this word. He said, I wish I could be a motorcycle officer. And I just started teasing him and I was saying, Chris, this is the training we go through. It's a shame you don't have a motorcycle. We train you right now in your driveway. We'd put up some traffic pylons and see if you could go through them. <laughs> this little boy runs in the house, comes riding out on a battery operated motorcycle that his mother had got for him in place of a wheelchair. Oh. Wow. He's just all serious. He's got on a helmet. He's got on the aviator glasses. He goes through the cones. He comes back. Am I a motorcycle officer now? Yes, you are, Chris. When do I get my wings? Well, those were custom made also. And I said, Chris, I promise I'll get your wings. It'll take a couple days. A couple days later, just as I pick up the wings again, the dispatcher says, call in. I call. She says, Chris is in a hospital in a coma, probably not going to survive the day you're authorized to drive into Phoenix to go to the hospital, which I did. Chris's uniform is hanging right by his bed. Just as I pinned on the motorcycle wings, he came out of the coma. He looks at me, he big grin on his face, my motorcycle officer now, yes, you are, Chris. His wish had become true. And unfortunately, he passed away a couple hours later. Wow. Yeah, I was John. I was like to think maybe those wings helped carry him to heaven. Yeah, what an unbelievable story. So, so, so there came the word wish. He, yes, that's he, the first time I heard that. And and you made his wish come true. Well, myself and several others, obviously. Sure, sure. But, but our commanders approached me a couple of days later and said, "We just learned that Chris is going to be buried in a little town called Kewanee, Illinois. We have lost a fellow officer." We would like you and your partner to go back and give him a full police funeral, which we did. Now, again, this is before the days of Internet, but the local 
press is picking us up, TV stations. And we were met in this little town of Kwani because the word had got out by Illinois State Police, City Police, County Police, all wanting to give this little trooper a full police funeral. Wow. And he's buried in uniform. His grave marker reads, Chris Gracious, Arizona Trooper. But flying home, and this gets back to your original question, I just started thinking about it. Here's a boy who had a wish, and we made it happen. Why can't we do that for other children? And that's when the idea to start the Make-A-Wish Foundation was born, maybe about 36,000 feet over Iowa or Kansas or something. Wow. So, so now you've got your idea, Make-A-Wish Foundation. Well, now it's going to take an awful lot of people and resources around you to make these wishes come true. So now you're the founder uh, 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 of an entity of, of an of an. So you, you, did you go out and form your nonprofit uh, entity and and ha- tell me how like the structure became and I want somebody to know if if you if they have a dream or a wish to help people, what was the process that you went through then, Frank? Well, the uh, first thing was uh, going with Chris's mother when she finally returned home. I I told her of my idea. And she said, let's just do it. Now research it. How do you start a nonprofit? And again, it's before the days of the internet. Yep. I go to the library. Anybody remember the library card? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a police officer. I'm not, <laughs> I don't know how to start a foundation. Just yep. a lot of research. And the biggest thing in Arizona, and a lot of states, Arizona per the Corporation Commission to file for your 501c3 along with the IRS is you have to have a minimum of five board members. And that was the hardest thing. Because everybody that was involved with Chris, uh, I told them my idea what we want to do. We want to grant wishes to children. They said, it's a bad idea. It'll never work. Nobody's ever heard of this. So it just took a lot, a lot of time. Um, that was Chris's wish, or when we met him, was the end of April in 1980. And it took until November of uh, 1980 when we finally got our 501c3 make us official. But during that time, just a lot, a lot of personal time, expenses, trying to sell people on the idea. And when we finally did get those five board members to become official. Wow. So when did you get your first corporate kind of sponsor? And now you're out pitching the idea to people, right? Now you're, you're, you're becoming somewhat of a fundraiser. Well, yes, and um, we're, we're strictly in Arizona, obviously, uh-huh. where we started out. Yep. And our first official wish was a seven-year-old. And when we started this, John, it was for children with terminal illnesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of these children survived during that period. Right. Leukemia even was a death sentence. Yeah. And, so you um, had to act quickly. When you learned of a child, you had to act quickly, uh, uh, obviously, because there was always a clock ticking with you. And the first official wish was in March of 1981. By then, we had started getting a little recognition, starting to get some money uh, in our bank account. And again, a seven-year-old boy, um, leukemia, and he wanted to go to Disneyland. And we had thought the wish categories are, I want to see, I want to have, I want to meet, I want to go. And uh, we hadn't really thought too much about that out-of-state travel wish. Yeah. So we started putting everything together for the Disney, and we we finally got the funds and donations for airfare, for lodging over there. Now this is all local donations pretty much, right? Yes, local donations. Yep. 
but airlines back then it was called uh, Hughes Air West mm-hmm. um, gave us tickets to send him and his mom over again a single mom uh, but the Disney connection, because, and now Disney doesn't like this story, but I tell it anyhow. We kept calling Disney, our secretary kept calling Disney, said, we're the Make-A-Wish Foundation, we'd like to get, we have a seven-year-old boy, terminal illness, he'll be in a wheelchair, we'd like to get free admission, and we'd like also to see if we can get him in front of the lines, uh, because he's very ill. Yeah. Now, we learned that Disney is notified with this all the time with bogus requests, and they just kept hanging up on us. Mm-hmm. And I understand that. And finally, the secretary said, I don't know what to do. They won't talk to me. I said, well, give me the name of the people you're talking to. And I called the secretary of public relations. And uh, she said, who is this? And I said, instead of Frank Shanklitz, uh, President CEO Make-A-Wish, I said, this is Officer Frank Shanklitz, Arizona Highway Patrol. And she said, what is this about? And I said, well, I need to talk to your director of public relations because I have a warrant for one of your people. Now, guess who I got to talk to? Who? <laughs> the director of public relations. <laughs> but the first thing I did, John, I said, I just lied to you. Here's my name. Here's my badge number. Here is my supervisor's name and his phone number. All you have to do is call him right now, and I will be terminated immediately. But will you please listen to my story? Which he did, which opened up the door for Disney. Uh, the way they gave Bopsy, plus all the press we got now nationwide. And that answers the question of who's our first corporate sponsor and continues to be the Disney Corporation, which just over, we're all going in our 40th year, has just been there forever for us. Wow. So now you start to become national, right? You start to get requests from outside of Arizona, I imagine. So uh, 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 is that how you just started to grow? Suddenly there's more children, and of course you can't help them all. But then again, you want to help as many as you can. So now this is starting to work. So was your view is how do we grow this? How do we expand this? Did you ever think it would become as large as it is? Well, I did, yes. In fact, after I mentioned Bobsy, our first official wish. And yeah getting so much press, so much TV coverage. Uh, Dateline NBC did a full feature of us. And, and again, this is before internet. And I told our board someday we're going to be granting wishes all over the world um, because of the uh, publicity and that we're getting. And they all laughed at me. <laughs> but I guess I kind of got the last laugh. But it was in 1983 that we started getting approached by uh, other states. How do we start a chapter uh, and they, they called it a franchise and, you know, like a McDonald's almost. Yeah, yeah. But between that time, I had to make a, a decision. Um, I'm going to be a police officer or I'm going to run the foundation. I couldn't do both anymore. It was just taking up too many hours of my time. Yep. And I learned in college, always surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. And that's when our board made it because none of us ever took a salary. And that's when our board made the decision that we need to start hiring somebody, a professional in the nonprofit world, mm-hmm. which we did the greatest decision the board ever made back in those days, uh, which made these uh, CEOs that we've had over the years have made that foundation grow what it is today. Just amazing with chapters all over the world. Yeah. Wow. So could you guess, Frank, how many children has Make-A-Wish touched over these years? Well, we have that figure, and it's just mind-boggling to me. We are at over a half a million children worldwide 
that have received the wish. We're in 36 countries of five continents, 63 chapters in the United States, and all because of one little boy. What a legacy that boy has left. Yeah, wow. And, and, and the fact of the matter is uh, 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 he touched your heart, but it was your heart that was touched, Frank, and, and the people around you that really acted upon this. And so, so when you turned it on over and, and stepped back as a founder and went back to really your police career, uh, at that point, how long had you been still running it or actively involved? Actively involved for several years, but when I turned it over, um, <laughs> I was promoted to detective and went into an undercover assignment, undercover narcotics, and couldn't have my face or name splashed anywhere. So kind of in the sidelines for several years. Gotcha. And in the mid-80s, um, promoted to a, another position, homicide, our homicide unit, where I could get involved again. They didn't care. They wanted my face out there. Um, but stayed for them years and years as what we call the Wish Ambassador. The foundation would just send me all over the United States, even as far as uh, Guam and Tinian and Saipan uh, for meet and greets for uh, keynote speeches to help raise money as their foundation. And with the movie, I'm not involved right now because it's a conflict of interest with our movie that's out. But the movie is bringing all sorts of awareness to the foundation. Wow. Unbelievable, Frank. So, so uh, you know, th there's such a powerful lesson for people that are listening to learn from this is that you conceived this because you were touched and said, you know, I, I want to do something about this. And you did it while you were employed with a full-time job of great responsibility, by the way, still traveling, bouncing around the state. And look what, what somebody with, with passion can accomplish, uh, even while they keep their jobs, even while uh, uh, the rest of life continues. It's a powerful and inspirational story, Frank, what each of us can do. You know, my daughter has a program that she does where she adopts two to three families a year. And they make sure that these individual families, you know, have food that they need and, and uh, even Christmas and all those types of things during the course of the year. And, you know, they check in on these families periodically and they make certain that, you know, they have what they need. And, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's powerful. And she does it just for a few families, but, you know, it makes a huge difference. And in my work, uh, uh, you know, I, I can cite a Ronald McDonald house who I work closely with and, you know, the work that they do for families in support of children. And all of this started with, with somebody like you, Frank, who was touched by suffering or somebody's situation and acted upon it. Well, and, and, and the theme, the theme of the movie and my book and my personal life and your daughter is a perfect example of what I'm going to say is everyone can be a hero. When you can help somebody out, give back. And you don't have to have money to give back, as I was taught as a young child. You can give back with your time. Yep. Actually, sometimes that's more important. I completely agree. Uh, uh, I'm on a board of, uh, of a charity here in Las Vegas, Keep Memory Alive, the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health. And, you know, we find that we can raise money a lot easier than we can get people to donate the time that we need to execute programs. And I think every charitable organization has that struggle. And writing a check sometimes isn't enough. You know, you should write the check and then chase your own money with some work and time to make certain that we're more effective. Exactly. It, yep. Exactly. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and, and people can find out more about what I'm involved in, more about the movie, if they want to go to my website, which I hope you don't mind my mentioning. No, please tell us. Where can we find it, Frank? Yes, 
Wishman1, the number one, wishman1.com. Uh, all the information on there about the movie, about the book, about stuff we're up to. I'm involved with several other nonprofits. Uh, being associated with Make-A-Wish for so many years has given me, I guess, the credentials to be asked to sit on several boards uh, that we're helping out in all sorts of different ways, everything from foster children that are being uh, aged out of the system, which I never thought about, John. When foster child turns 18, they still may be in school and they have nowhere to go. They're given a plastic trash bag and said, here's your belongings and goodbye. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I was, I'm no, I'm no longer because I've moved on to something else, but I was on the board of the St. Jude's Ranch for Children here in Las Vegas. And they have a program called Transitions. And it's exactly that, Frank. And and, and through their Transitions program, when the, the, the child ages out, uh, they can go into the, which is a small apartment, and there's counselors there to help them find the job and transition out, so to speak. And you're right, there's this black hole between the foster care, foster parent situation, and 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 uh, uh, becoming an adult. And exactly. And up up in Seattle, this is where we're starting this program. We're develop housing mm -hmm. uh, for group housing. Uh, we just opened up our first one. Beautiful neighborhood, beautiful area where we can house ten of these children. And I call them children still. <laughs> yep. But they, they can stay there until age 23. They can finish high school. They can get into college. They can get into job training. They have they have a place to go until they can finally figure out on their own what's going on. Yep. Not only is it a place to go, it's a nonviolent, drug-free, safe place to go. Uh, exactly. Uh, and, and they, of course, I'm sure, have certain requirements that they have to meet to, to maintain their housing there. Uh, of working and a clean life and things like that. So it's a very important function. And, and you know, it, it's, uh, uh, it's wonderful, Frank, uh, uh, what you've accomplished. Talk to me about the President's Call to Service Award. How did that feel? <laughs> that, that was quite an honor. Now, I don't get to meet the President. The first one came from President Bush, and then just recently another one from uh, President Trump. But just receiving that letter itself, I mean— you kind of sit back, wow, the President of the United States, um, and reading it, kind of gloating a little bit, but just very, very proud, very proud to receive that. So think about this, this young, poor kid uh, with pretty much nothing from Seligman, Arizona, and Prescott, graduates high school, decides you want to be in the air traffic control business. Luckily, you qualify. You get into Arizona College and University. You wind up going to England and having this interesting educational, international experience. This young kid, this poor kid, then starts with Arizona Public Safety. And then this young, poor kid, now this young Arizona motorcycle officer, is touched by one child. And one child in one moment and one thing from a bicycle safety program and meeting someone and to receiving the President's Call to Service Award, to helping hundreds of thousands of children. Frank, are your parents still alive? No, they're not. No, they're not. Did they have an opportunity to see you achieve this? Uh, yes, they did. Yes, they did. Now, I, I, when you see the movie or read the book, you'll find out it had a, did not have a close relationship with my mother until her later, later years. In fact, she's the one that abandoned me when I was uh, uh, just starting seventh grade. 
But uh, my father, who searched for years, uh, we reconnected finally, and just the greatest relationship with him. And then even my mother, in her later years, whatever her demons were, she mellowed out, and uh, uh, we we reconnected. Wow! And again, I was taught that by, especially when I was having trouble with my my mother when she left me, and Juan Delgadillo, my mentor, said, "No matter what, always remember that she is your mother, and you will respect her." Yeah. And, you know, uh, when we look back at those years, everybody's just trying to get through the day, aren't they? Yeah. Right, and struggling with their own situations. You know, I had issues with my mom back in, in years, and you know, we didn't speak for a while as well. And things couldn't have ended better with us. But, but uh, uh, yes, so, you know, Frank, to, to help people, we have to have forgiveness in our heart too uh, and look at the good in everyone that inspires you to do this work. Well, exactly. And again, I was taught, always turned, and again, at a very young age, and it's a popular term today, learn how to turn those negative things into positive things. It's the absolute truth. Frank, yeah. you, you've not only helped uh, uh, now your idea, your inspiration, your hard work, your heart and soul has helped translate it into helping a half a million children have a wish come true to bring a smile, a tear to their face, to have their parents step back and have pride and pleasure and, and and the power of siblings seeing this and parents involved in this and, and uh, 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 the child going through this, to think that you could have accomplished all of this uh, in your life and made such, such a huge difference. Uh, uh, I know we all want to thank you, but do you ever sit back and realize, uh, uh, give yourself a pat on the back for the magnitude of what this has turned into? Uh, no, I don't. I, I, I'm still amazed by the whole thing. And I always like to point out that I had an idea and made it work. But look at the thousands of people worldwide that make it work and continue to make it work and actually improve on that idea. Well, you're an incredible inspiration. And uh, you are to me. Thank you. So, Frank, thanks for, for, for having a heart bigger than so many of the other people around you because that heart of yours uh, turned... Uh, uh, into Make-A-Wish Foundation. It did. And I think that you're very humble. But what you've achieved is so unusual, so extraordinary, so special. Uh, uh, it'll outlive you. It'll outlive uh, uh, me. It'll outlive all of us. Uh, this is something that will, will be a part of our society and life all because of your heart, Frank. A and uh, thank you. You're a very special man. What an honor to talk to you. Frank... Well, Frank Shankwitz, uh, uh, co-founder of Make-A-Wish Foundation. Frank, tell everybody again uh, uh, where they can find you online. Oh, the website is wishman1, the number one, wishman1.com. Um, there'll be information about book, movie, everything else going on, what we're doing, all the nonprofits I'm involved with. And then also on Facebook, just Frank Shankwitz on Facebook. Great. Well, I'll be following you, and, and everybody should as well. When is the movie scheduled? The, the movie has been out. It's an independent movie. Uh -huh. uh, it, it did its theatrical release, and now it's on DVD and live streaming, Amazon Prime and so on. Uh, we're getting such a great, great response uh, with the DVD sales. Even the movie, we received the honorable mention at Cannes Film Festival. We uh, received Best Inspirational Film of 2018 wow. in Arizona for the film festival. We won Breast Film and uh, Best New Actor. I wow. mean, it's, it's going great for an independent movie. So wow. happy with it. 
So what is the name of the film again on Amazon Prime? Wish Man. Wish Man. So let's look for that. And, uh, Frank, thank you for your time. And, and boy, uh, keep rocking, buddy. Because uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Keep that ball rolling. You continue to touch more and more of us in, in, in more ways with your other board and other work. So thank you, buddy. All right. Thank you again, John. Take Talk. care. Wow. Half a million children. You know, it's an honor to talk to Frank Shankwitz and think that, you know, this no master's degree, no big city education. This is a simple, simple man who came from a small town, a poor small town, who did big things. Started small, did big things. All of us, whether we start small, in the middle, or big, we can all do big things. We can all make a difference. We can all give back. And if anybody is the master and really understands what giving back means, it's Frank. So I got to ask you guys a question. Can each of you give back somehow? Is there a family you can help? Is there you know, a local effort going on, organization going on, church effort, temple effort? Can each of us give back somehow? I know I'm going to be thinking about that. You know, go online, take a second, check out Frank. How about giving something to Make-A-Wish Foundation? But we all do need to give back. I think we can agree on that. And don't forget, subscribe right now. Do it right now. Any place where you subscribe to your podcasts.